0: Hi there, and welcome to Deal Reporter Asia's weekly podcast, where we discuss the week's hottest situations in Asian event-driven investing. Today is the 31st of May, 2019. I'm Stephanie Hanna, and uh, I look at special situations, and with me is Annette Johnson. I'm Associate Editor for Asia. For those of you who haven't heard of Deal Reporter, we produce news and data covering mergers and acquisitions for event-driven hedge funds. Deal Reporter Asia has been covering public M&A in the region for over 10 years, and now we've entered the podcast world to give you a taste of the deals, companies, and trends we're following. You can find more about us on dealreporter.com. So Annette, what has been going on in the event-driven world this week?
1: Well, Stephanie, one of the stocks that have been moving um, quite a lot is Linus, the Australia-listed rare earths uh, producer, which uh, you may recall from last week uh, was showing a positive development because of noises coming out of China and speculation Mm. that China may use um, rare earths as a weapon in the trade war with the U.S., now on Wednesday this week, uh, Linus stock shot up fifteen and a half percent. Actually, uh, on further speculation that this could be a very positive development for the company, which mm-hmm. happens to be one of the only significant rare earths producers based outside of China. Right. Uh, but then yesterday evening, uh, there uh, emerged a further uh, media reports uh, from out of Japan. Uh, which reported that uh, Malaysian prime minister will renew, or he said that he will likely renew the license for Linus's rare earth processing plant in Malaysia. The uh, Malaysian prime minister Mahathir Mohamed was in Tokyo for a business conference and was holding a press conference there. And what he was quoted as saying by uh, outlets like um, the Sydney Morning Herald and Reuters was that we will allow Linus to carry on because otherwise we will lose a big investment from Australia.
0: Hmm. Well, this is, yeah, quite significant news because just a few months ago, Linus received a, a proposal, a takeover proposal from West Farmers. And one of the conditions of that proposal was that Linus had its... Uh, its license in Malaysia renewed by September. So I guess we can take this as a sort of positive development if uh, if West farmers were to come back, right?
1: Yeah, no, this is definitely significant. I mean, the license is due to expire in September unless renewed. And as a condition for renewing the operating license, the Malaysian government... Uh, through one of its agencies had asked Linus to address the treatment of its waste, waste treatment mm. in Malaysia. It's something that sort of gen- is generated as part of the processing and is, it contains slight radioact- radioactive elements. Mm. Uh, so there has been somewhat controversial now if this license was to be renewed for sure then that would definitely be positive for Linus, and uh, you can see that by the fact that the share price shot up more than 12 percent early this morning to above three dollars uh, mm. three australian dollars that is uh before being temporarily halted from trading shortly before 10 a.m yeah uh, some 10 minutes later the company issued a brief statement saying that they had noted the comments made by the Malaysian Prime Minister and that they would obviously welcome the fact that he is acknowledging the importance of them continuing their operations in Malaysia. However, it did not confirm that mm. this was indeed um, th- this was indeed um, happening and they had not heard anything themselves from the Malaysian government as yet so they uh, pledged to update the market as they receive further clarification um the stock came back a little bit when they with the resumed trading but um it is still up about 10 11 percent or mm. so by by lunchtime um, australian time
0: yeah so it's above three dollars now and that's still you know well above uh the 225 offer price that west farmers submitted so it'll be interesting to see if west farmers can sort of reconcile um, that increase in valuation that increase in Linus's share price that uh, is recently. Correct.
1: but the fact that it has now if this indeed turn out turns out to be the case and they do get their license renewed then obviously one of the conditions West farmers made when mm. they when they put forward its indicative bid has uh, would then be would then be sorted yeah. So then uh, discussions would turn to price yeah. Um,
0: Well, I guess also in Australia this week, there was an announcement uh, late yesterday that uh, James Packer, the Australian tycoon, has sold part of his stake in Crown Resorts, uh, the hotel and casino group. So he's sold down part of his stake to Melco, which is uh, based in Macau. Melco holds under 20% of Crown. So that's below the the takeover threshold in Australia. And Packer's existing stake now is uh, 26%
1: wasn't wasn't Packer about to sell his stake to to Wynn?
0: Yeah, so I mean, he seems to be a keen seller because just in April, uh Crown confirmed reports that it was in takeover talks with Wynn and it even mentioned the the potential offer price at that time, which I think was $14.75. But yesterday, uh, the announcement released by Packer uh, has his has him selling his stake at a slightly lower price and think the Crown shares haven't reacted too well to that news. Uh, it obviously dampens the prospects of the a, a takeover of Crown in the short term, at least.
1: Yeah, I guess it would, uh, it would be uh, not a, a very attractive option for a third-party bidder to come in mm. when um, uh, Melco Resorts, which is you know run by Lawrence Ho, the son of Macau mm. gaming tycoon Stanley Ho, uh, when they own almost 20%, it um, would obviously not be particularly attractive to come in and buy the remaining yeah. 6% the Packer is still holding. So the likelihood of a deal where
0: minorities could benefit seems to have, have gone down a bit. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Um, I guess, you know, it does raise the question about what Melco's longer-term intentions are. I think in the announcement, Melco said that this is a, a strategic stake um, but knowing that Packer is a willing seller, you know we can't really discount the possibility of Melco uh, looking to acquire uh, the remainder of Crown at some point in the future.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds true. We, we're going to continue to monitor that. Mm. Uh, although in the short term, it seems that um, it may be a less exciting uh, opportunity.
0: Yeah. There was another proposal in in Australia this week. Uh, It was for an integrated telecoms uh, company, Vocus. So it received a non-binding conditional proposal uh, from a Swedish privately held investment firm, EQT. And so they've launched the proposal through their infrastructure fund. And that proposal comes in at $5.25. And I think the shares are still trading at a sizable discount to that price. Things are at an early stage here, right? I mean, there's no no definitive deal.
1: Yeah, what we know right now is that um, Vocus has granted non-exclusive due diligence to EQT, uh, which they mm. said is about is going to take some weeks to complete. Mm. And so, uh, we don't know very much about how that's going to go just yet.
0: Uh. Uh, our reporter in Sydney, Simon Siegel, um earlier this week uh, published a, a note on this situation saying that uh, the foreign investment regulator, Ferb, um, you know, which will obviously look at this deal if it materializes, but that it could possibly represent a risk here because Vocus has undersea cables and government contracts and that, that could be sensitive, um, you know, if it was in the hands of a, a foreign bidder. Um, although his sources seem to be divided on on how much of a risk uh, this actually poses.
1: Yeah, there uh, seem to have been some suggestion that this is obviously not a Swedish, uh, obviously not a Chinese <laughs> bidder. It's, yeah. a, it's a Swedish company, and uh, while EQT doesn't have any current investments in Australia, mm. according to its own website. There have been reports noting that there are other Swedish companies that own telecom assets in Australia, including right. Ericsson, which, okay. which might be an indication that that FERB would be okay with yeah. such a development. Yeah,
0: uh, and I'll, you know, it's also worth noting that uh, there was no change in government at the recent election in Australia, so there should be little reason to expect sort of a sudden change in the way FERB is operating and thinking. The other thing to note with Vocus is that John Ho, um, who heads up a, a Hong Kong investment firm, Yanko Partners, um, took a board seat on Vocus last year. And he's known for targeting underperforming Australian companies and, and working through a company's turnaround process. And, you know, in Vocus's case, that's meant, you know, changing the management, changing the board so he owns uh voting shares and equity derivatives and i think you know his view on eqt's proposal will be uh will be important here yeah so i guess we're we'll step back from australia (laughs) into the philippines down under this week yeah um so what's been happening in the philippines
1: yeah there is uh, some news related to Holcim Philippines. Uh you may recall that's the um that's the Philippine arm of uh, Lavage Holcim, uh, the large conglomerate which is a cement conglomerate which is selling uh has been selling out of their businesses in Southeast Asia, mm. Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore uh, so mm. far. They struck a deal to sell its stake in Holcim, Philippines earlier this month at a um, company valuation enterprise value of 2.15 billion US dollars. Now, uh, yesterday, there was uh, some reports, uh, including from our sister publication, Par, saying that San Miguel, which is the buyer of the 85.7% stake, is uh, ready to file with the Philippine Competition Regulator, PCC, as early as today. So there seems to be um, some movement going on there. Mm. San Miguel, when they announced the acquisition of the majority stake, never announced a per share price that they would be paying. Interesting. Uh, They only announced the enterprise value, which, of course, can Isn't be can be a little difficult to, to work out on a per share basis given it includes debt. So minority shareholders still don't know what, what mm. is the, the minimum price they might get offered. And they also don't know when um, this might happen. So a lot of there uncertainty. There is no, no information as yet when this purchase price adjustment would kick in. Wow. If that's something that would come after three months, six months, a year, we still don't know. Wow. So there is a lot of questions for
0: minority shareholders on this situation. Okay. Interesting. Well, we'll, you know, watch and see how that develops and, you know, whether any clarity emerges from that. On a different note, there appears to be some developments in the dissent cases in the Cayman Islands. Yes,
1: we may have taken our eyes slightly off the ball on this one, but we have recently learned that there has, in fact, been a judgment handed down in one of the... Section 238 dissent cases in the Cayman Islands uh, for TUNAR, an online travel platform um, that was taken private back in 2017. Now, to recap quickly, um, dissent for Chinese uh, US-listed ADRs that are Cayman Island Incorporated, have become a bit of a thing as these take privates have typically been viewed to be done at low ball prices. Many of them are still controlled by their founding chairman and have been able to push through the votes at what is perceived to be low prices. Now, Back in 2015-2016, a group of hedge funds in Hong Kong started to dissenting these deals, which means that they are essentially seeking a court judgment on fair value instead of accepting the merger price that the founder or the buying group is proposing. One of these cases, a couple of years ago, did reach a judgment that saw the court rule that fair value after adjustment was a massive 81% above the take private price. Not surprisingly, this sparked a wave of dissent from um, other hedge funds mm-hmm. and also US-based uh, long-only funds, who were ke- keen to get in on this act. Now. Earlier this month, in the first half of this month, we have learned that there was a uh, a judgment handed down on the Tunar case. Now, this would be only the third judgment in, uh, in such a, a Cayman Section 238 case. And this judgment has not yet been posted on the Cayman judicial website, but the law firms involved have written reports on this on their own websites. And it appears the news is not good for the dissenters. According to Harness, which represented the company, the decision was a victory for the company as the court all but confirmed that the merger price was being fair value, was equal to fair value. Wow. Now, uh, this is is indeed a bit of a blow to the dissenters which had argued through their expert witness that the company should in fact have been worth four times uh, the merger price, more than four times. And they had come to that conclusion by using a 100% discounted cash flow methodology. Uh, They had also argued that... um, U.S. listed Chinese companies are systematically undervalued by U.S. markets and they backed that up by noting that uh, many of these take private companies have been relisted in China or Hong Kong at significantly higher valuations. Mm. Now the company's expert witness um, at the trial, which went on for three weeks earlier this year in February, March argued for a blended methodology where you would use 50 percent discounted cash flow and 50 percent would be based on an analysis of the company's traded share price at the time and they came to the conclusion that using this methodology the valuation should be slightly below the merger price. Uh, what's remarkable here is that the court appears to have rejected the dissenters' theory on using 100% DCF, which has previously been been the case. 75 to 100% reliance on DCF has been um, has been what we have seen in in other cases that have gone to to trial. Uh, but here, the court have um, Sided entirely with the company's expert witness and has noted that um, the trading price is, in fact, a good judgment mm. of what is fair value for the company. And that would be a notable development in how the court approaches these cases.
0: Mm. So it'll be interesting to see if this judgment will act as a deterrent for other minority investors who are involved in outstanding cases or considering dissenting in future cases. I mean, even when these processes go well for hedge funds and other investors, it is still a lengthy, expensive process.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's correct, and it will also be interesting to see how the expert witnesses in forthcoming uh, trials will approach the valuation evalu- valuation issue uh, with this judgement in mind. And there are, as far as we can tell, at least seven of these um, dissent cases that are currently outstanding that are in the middle or at the beginning of the process. And they include companies such as Chihu 360, JA Solar, iKang Healthcare and Car. Mm. And it will be interesting to see how how the process will will go on from here.
0: Yeah, we'll continue to monitor that. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for joining in and uh, we'll see you soon.